Come on, he's the reason why we're here tonight. Is there any faith or anticipation for God to do what only he can do in this house? Come on now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much for your prayers. And, and I couldn't say enough about being here at Antioch with, with all of this, uh, uh, all of this momentum and faith and everything that God is doing and being with your pastor and, and your pastor's wife. But also, once again, in the absence of your bishop, I want to honor everybody that God has used in Antioch and the people of God here at Antioch, you have surely showed me and my family what excellence is. And if you've showed me what excellence is, I believe anybody that walks through those doors, they're going to say that church has something to offer. Amen. Amen. So I thank you. I commend you for all the being so kind to me and my family everywhere is not so kind so it's good to be here with all of you and i mean you guys do it good here all right you take care of me i mean everybody not just pastor i mean everybody on every level has been so kind to us and and uh, i believe it was sister bailey i was teasing her this morning because she actually gave us our in our hotel bag little goodies and all the things that we got we got coloring books and all that stuff but there was this little this little i thought it was a trick but there was this this granola bars and i mean i'm on a healthy kick right now i'm trying to be healthy and glorify god in my body and spirit Right, and she there's something's in there that granola bar that's a hybrid mixed with with uh, what was it Girl Scout cookies. And I looked at, it, I said, "What are these? Are these a trick? I mean, I mean, they are healthy. They're granola bars, but at the so that justified that justified me eat eating the whole box while I was in the corner, crying myself to sleep. Amen. Talk about shame. Amen. So thank you. I, whoever made those hybrid granola bars with Girl Scout cookies, Sister Wright, kiss his brain. That's all I got to say. Just kiss his brain. Amen. And smack him at the same time because that's wrong. Amen. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm a firm believer. The Bible says that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Amen. And that's why some people are still sick. Smile. Look at your neighbor. Smile. You might have just got your miracle. Amen. Amen. But so once again, so thankful to be here with everybody. I honor everybody and I honor the people of God that are in this house. But how many are ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open those up or turn those on? To Second King, I should say Second Kings chapter eleven, Amen. Second Kings chapter eleven. And while you're turning there, just let me know when you've got it. Say I've got it, Amen. Second Kings chapter eleven and verses one. I don't know how you use this thing. Can I get a little bit more monitor? Second Kings chapter eleven and verse one. 
boom, boom, boom. Oh, yeah. Hot. Whoo. It's one of them fancy churches. You get to hang out with this puppy right here. All right. Cool. I like that. Amen. But 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. Everybody say he was dead. She arose and destroyed all the seed royal. Everybody say royalty. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Ahaziah, or King, and but Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's son, which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years. And Athaliah did reign over the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guard and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. But now skipping down to verse 10. And to the captains over hundreds did the priests give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. And the guard stood every man with his weapons in his hands round about the king. From the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple. Along by the altar and the temple. And he brought forth the king's sons or the king's son, and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God, save the king. When they brought that king out of hiding, they clapped their hands from one side to the other, saying, God, save the king. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manor was, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. And Athaliah, everybody say Athaliah, rent her clothes and cried treason treason but Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds and the officers of the host and said unto the unto them have her forth without the ranges and him that followeth her kill with the sword for the priest had said let her not be slain in the house of the Lord I want to just preach. I know in the last little while you've heard much terminology like it's time. And you've known that it, we have been in transition and knowing things have been changing. I know that terminology, it just seems so commonplace anymore. But I feel like God spoke something to me for you that are here tonight. For this Antioch church. That is, I believe, a crown upon a nation. And what God is about to do... I I want, to feel, I want to preach what I feel. And that is like what God gave me and spoke into my spirit. It's like God pointed to my chest and put His hand to my chest and said, Ready for royalty. 
So I want to put my hand to the heart of this church and I want to say it like this. Ready for royalty. So would you pray with me right now and open your spirit, your mind. I don't want you to press in prayer. I want you to yield yourself in prayer. Yield your emotions, your prejudice, your preferences, any opinions that you might hold about anything. Just lift them up to God right now. Father, we come to you knowing that we need your mind in this house. Knowing that we need your spirit to have free course. Father, we come right now. Anoint us, O God, both to speak and to hear. I pray cause there to be a Spirit of revelation and understanding, not only upon my mouth, O oh God, but upon the ears and the hearts and the minds of your people. I pray cause there to be not only a word, but God, let there be a demonstration that will transcend just mere demonstration, but let there be an impartation that we can live, care, leave carrying the weight of something that we did not come in this place with. Father, binding every hindering spirit, whether human or demonic. I pray let there be clarity that would sweep across this congregation to know who we are and what's available. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Would you clap your hands one more time to God? And like you, like we do, bump your neighbor and say, ready? And you may be seated if you so desire. Amen. Amen. If I forgot to I forgot to mention though it is a privilege to have my wife with me and my kids, my son Nathan and my daughter Natalie. It is a privilege. They are what I call the grace of pace. Because knowing me, I'm a firecracker and I'll run off a cliff without her. So I'm thankful that I've got a wife that can bring pace to my life and kids that bring pace to my life. That has been one of the greatest salvations that God has ever given me. Amen. Amen. But in 2 Kings, it's one of my favorite Bible books in the Bible, if I can say it like that, just because... In the book of 2 Kings, it is, it is recording some of the... It's like a road map, if I can say it like that. It's like a road map through transition and generational transference. It, it literally records the generational transference from, from Elijah the prophet to his successor, Elisha the young prophet. It is, it bears the record of that, that, that young prophet Elijah taking up the ministry and carrying on the mantle and furthering what was started in Elijah. He carries it on and he perpetuates the forward moving momentum that was started in his sick or his predecessor and prophet Elijah we see as this transition is taking place it starts with transition but it doesn't end with transition because the book of second king recording that generational transference we can look to it now where we are as a church and look to it where we are now as a people looking as Elisha took hold of what was passed on to him he, he did not continue to look back but he turned forward and began to perpetuate the prophetic that was on the people of God and he went and did with a double portion he did 14 
14 miracles as opposed to Elijah's 7 recorded miracles. That means he took a portion and he did twice as much with it. Because while Elisha, he prayed at that bank of Jordan, at the banks of Jordan, Elijah, before he was taken away, he said, what would you ask of me? And he said, I want a double portion of your spirit upon me. And he prayed for a double portion. And guess what? He got a double portion. But the thing that we under, I've always preached it, that he got twice as much. No, he didn't. He got a double portion, but a portion is still just a portion. But he was well able to learn. He was apt to learn from his past so that he could take a portion and do twice as much with it. So where we are now as an Elisha double portion generation, we may not have everything that they had. We may not do everything that they did. But with only a portion, we can carry it twice as far. And we can do it twice as much. If we'll only but learn. Learn from what they did right. Learn from what we can do more efficient. Learn what we can do and be more effective. Because everything that Elijah did, that everything that Elijah did, it doesn't, whether right or wrong, he did it the way Elijah did it. So we've got to look back at Elijah and see where he might have missed it or where he might, and not in a negative sense, but learn and take hold of that double portion and learn how to be more effective and efficient. So now, but there is more to this story with Second Kings, Elisha now, with that double portion anointing, like the generation that is before us, he picked up that mantle, and he began to carry on the ministry of his predecessor, Elijah. But when they seen Elisha, after he had smote the waters himself, and crossed over on the dry ground, the school of the prophets, they came to him and they said the spirit of Elijah death doth rest upon thee and when they seen what was on that ignomatic prophet Elijah that great man of God that called fire down from heaven that there was no one like him there was nobody even close to his demonstration in the spirit so they now when they seen what was on Elijah now get on Elisha this did something in the minds of the people of God This did something in the minds of Israel because since the days of Samuel, because since the days of Samuel, there had always been what they called the school of the prophets or the sons of the prophets. And they were always 50 in number. And they would be 50 in number, generation after generation, because they would inherit a lineage. And inheriting a lineage, you were just a part of the school of the prophets. And if you didn't have lineage, you weren't a part of this and a generation they would watch as others were used of God and a generation would sit back and they would watch others prophesy they would watch others be anointed but when this this farm boy Elisha that was just out in the field plowing he was just out doing what any other young man his age would have been doing there was nothing special about Elisha there was nothing that stuck out to say hey he's the one 
on. There was nothing protruding out of his personality that said he's the one. But he was a representation for a generation because him doing what anybody else his age would have been doing, this spoke to a generation that if what's on him gets on him, that means possibly because he's he's nobody special. He was an agrarian society into agriculture and that's what they were about. That's what they all did. But when God looked out Elijah, the reason why the mantle came to him because Elijah or Elisha was just out in the field doing what he could with what he had where he was. He wasn't looking for a mantle. He wasn't chasing a ministry. No, mantles came after him because he wasn't waiting on ministry. He wasn't waiting on a mantle. But he was just doing what he could where he was with what he had available. And I'm telling Antioch, if you're in this house, don't wait for a mantle to just come to you. Just do what you can where you are with what you have available. And that's why, because mantles fall on moving targets. And if you're doing something, that's when pastor will come and say, Hey, I see My God. Because before I ever stepped into a pulpit, I'm telling you, at work, I'm praying for people. At work, I'm taking them back to the church at lunch to baptize them in Jesus' name. I wasn't waiting for ministry, but ministry found me where I was. So if you can do what you can, what you can with what you have, where you are, that's when double portions come find to come find you. That's where mantles and ministries come find you. Instead of chasing ministry, we ought to let ministry chase us. Come on, let's just stop and clap our hands right there. Because now. Because now when a generation that had always sat back because they didn't realize they could have what Elijah had, they sat back and they would watch him call fire down from heaven. They would watch him shut up the rain because they did not know that that was available to them. But when what was on Elijah got on Elisha, this put a thought into the minds of a generation that totally acclimated them for the possibility of what could be in their lives because knowing that the Bible said that he asked for a double portion and he got it. You want to know why he got a double portion? Because he asked for it. He had faith enough to believe that he he could have it. So he asked for it. And when he asked for it, it spoke to a generation because he prayed for a double portion. And if he got a double portion, pastor, that means he just got a portion. So what's that speak to the rest of a generation? If he's only got a portion, that means there's something left. If he's only got a portion, that means Elijah left something somewhere. And if it's here, I want it. If it's here, I'm going to get it. Because if he only got... 
Because that's why when a generation wakes up to the fact of what they can have and what they can be a part of in the kingdom of God, when they realize that they have a part to play, the Bible says in this momentum, in this, this perpetuated faith, that flowed from Elijah in the book of 2 Kings. It flows now to 2 Kings chapter 6 where the sons of the prophet now, they come to Elisha and they said, we've got to do something. This place where we dwell is too straight for us. In other words, the straight, the structure that we're operating in is too small to accommodate us anymore. But why? But why? It always been the same 50 that were being used the same 50 that were the select the same 50 why would they have to change where they're living now because a generation was waking up to the fact that if it's on Elijah and it got on Elisha that means maybe we can have it so they started flocking and they started coming and that's why you're going to have visitors without soliciting them they're just going to start coming when they realize they can have a part in the kingdom So now, because of the momentum and the faith and the people that are now flocking to be a part of the kingdom, because it's not just us sit back and watch somebody else be anointed and be used of God. They're starting to wake up to the understanding that I can be a part of the kingdom. So they run and they say, the place where we dwell is too straight for us. In other words... We've got to reaccommodate the structure to be able to accommodate the kind of growth and the kind of influx that is happening. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But watch how the transition played out. It was not the man of God coming to the people with his faith saying, I think we ought to do something. I recognize something is happening in the Spirit. No, it was the people that said, hey, there's something in me that says there's somebody on the way there's some, and it was the faith of the people that stood up and they went to the man of God and it wasn't living off the way of, off the faith of the man of God and his faith and his walk with God no something rose up in them that says hey I think we've got to reaccommodate the structure to it was a generation saying we've got faith Because let me ask you a question. When they crossed over into the promised land, the Bible says that it was different than the ways when it was back in no, and when with Moses coming out of Egypt. In the days of Moses coming out of Egypt, it was one man standing out in front of everything, and he called, he called for the waters to part, the waters parted, and then they crossed over. But by the time that they came to the promised land, things had changed and multiplied ministry happened. Because now you have the priesthood. No longer was it just one man that was standing out in front of the rest. But now, when you're standing at the brink of Jordan, you've got multiplied ministry that is found in the priesthood, all bearing the ark. All with the presence of God but watch how they win. Instead of waiting for the, instead of waiting for the waters to part. They didn't wait for the waters to part. Then they took the step. No. When we get to the promised land, he's saying, you take the step first and then I'll part the water. You know what this church just did? You took the step. Now he's going to part the water. Because, 
waiting on water to part just like you're waiting on one to be used of God. No, all are going to be used of God. Everybody is going to find a place. So what I encourage you to do, while you look at those troubled waters, just waiting for God to make a way, know who you are and just... And the Bible said that the water... But watch what they did next. It was Joshua, the leader, and the priest that took that step. And when the brim of their their foot, their soul hit the brim of that water, it parted. And guess what? I always thought that it was this, this instantaneous. They just translated into the promised land. No. There was a moment in time where the flow, that supernatural flow was sustained for that period of time. Everything was on hold. And the Bible said that Joshua and the priest were in the water and they had to stay put in the river with their soul on dry ground for that water to be held back. If that's the case, Joshua and the priest being in the water with the waters being held back, who went into the promised land first? Who led into the promised land? Joshua 3 says it was not Joshua. He could initiate the move forward. He could inspire faith for something and some kind of change. But the Bible said it was the people. This revival has transitioned to where it's no longer the man of God. He's initiated the move forward. But now it's got to be the people that says, Hey, that's our promised land. I've got faith that we can take a giant. I've got faith that that's ours. So it was not the ministry that we're waiting on, but it's the people to say, Hey, Pastor, we got this. I've got a Bible study ready, Pastor. I've got a... My God, I feel like I'm screaming all over the place now. And that's the same thing that happened in 2 Kings 6. The Bible says in 2 Kings 6 that they came to Elisha and they said the place where we dwell is too straight. We've got to, we've got to reestablish the structure to be able to accommodate what we're believing God for. And they said, let every man fail a beam. And he, he, here's what they said. They said, let us go to Jordan. Let's reestablish this structure. Let us go to Jordan. You know what they just said? They just said to Elisha, Elisha, let us go to that same place to get where, let us go to that same place where you got what you got. Because they were tracing that portion that was left over for them. They said, if you got that double portion at Jordan, if you picked up that mantle at Jordan, let us go to Jordan. Because if you only got a double portion, that means there's something left at Jordan waiting on me. And the Bible said, oh, come with us. Come with us in case we need some instruction, in case we need some some uh, reproof or correction or instruction in righteousness as we build. 
And so they go to Jordan. But here is the chief characteristic of that structure they began to build that would accommodate a generation taking up their double portion. Or their portion, I should say. The Bible said, every man failed a being. In other words, every man, they saw their own log that they would bring to the structure. They got their piece of wood. They did their work. They carried their weight. And they got a hold of their wood. And guess what? They got a log. And they started carrying it back to that riverside where they were building that structure. And said, here, I've got something to offer. And the structure that God is trying to get us acclimated to is that everybody has a part. Everybody has something to offer the kingdom. But don't get angry. Don't get bitter when your log ain't as big as somebody else's log. Don't compare yourselves among yourselves. My log's just as important. It may not be as big, but it has its place. I've got a place. And that's what you've got to leave here in your mind. I've got a place. I have something to offer. Whether you're brand new or whether you've been here 45 years, your log is just as important as the next person. And you may not be as big. You may not have as, as much of a visible log. But you might have the rafters that keeps everything held up. Uh, and now, and now, while there's this momentum in a generation, you know the law of motion. That anything that is set in motion will stay in motion until it is acted upon by an equal or greater force. But I've got news for you. If God sets something in motion like He did there, if God sets it in motion, there is no equal and there is no greater force that can stop the forward progress of the people that understand their portion said I got a place I can lay hands on the sick I can watch them recover I can teach a Bible study I can pray with somebody I can get a gift bag ready for brother near I've got a place so now my let's just stop right now and let's just lift our hands there's something here right now there's a spirit of revelation for somebody to grab hold of. I want somebody to understand in this house that you are important to Antioch. You are important to more than just Antioch. You're important to the kingdom of God. You're important and your part matters. But this is the structure God is spreading out instead of building up, giving room for people to be bring their portion. But now, but now what you've been feeling over the last little while, you've been feeling this momentum 
building. You've been feeling everything changing, everything shifting, everything that I've been talking about in one degree or another has been happening amongst the people of God. Whether it's not to its potential degree that it will happen, it has started to happen. But now you've got to understand with all this momentum and all this faith of people believing that I've got a part and I've got something to bring to the table. I may, I, 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 I'm part of the kingdom. And when the people start to wake up to this fact that if it's on Elijah and it gets on that old farm boy, that he's a nobody from nowhere, that doesn't have a name and doesn't have really anything protruding out of him that would say, hey, he's the one. If it got on him, that means that I can be used. I can have a part. I can be anointed. I can be used. But with this momentum and this faith, it flows throughout the book of Second Kings to such a degree that when, when Jehu, that general, is anointed, Jehu, becomes king that we talked about Saturday morning. Jehu was anointed king and he was riding that wave of momentum with such furious faith that when he was riding, the Bible said anything and everything that came against him, generals would come against him. Evil generals would come and he would say, get in behind me. And everything that came against him ultimately with because such momentum that was already behind him, it came in against him. But it would ultimately come behind Behind and continue to thrust him forward further and faster. So you see this thing that is in the book of Second Kings with such motion and momentum that it is flowing so furious and so fast at one point. But we th- I told you that once something is set in motion, it cannot stop until it is acted upon by an equal or greater force. But there's no equal or greater force with God. So with that being said, it is in Second Kings chapter 11 I read to you where that momentum, it was not stopped, but it was brought to a screeching halt. It was to a crawl, if you will. Because with all of this momentum and all this faith, somebody lost their life. And it just so happened to be Athaliah that I read to you about. And Athaliah, when she looked over her son that was dead, the Bible said that she began to destroy all of the seed royal. Anything pertaining to the kingdom. She lashed out against all because that day in the wake of Jehu's ride, in the wake of Jehu's momentum and faith, there was a dead son, a circumstance of life that now gets to where Athaliah is. In Athaliah, she becomes victimized by life. She suffered the loss of her son. Now, whether he was wicked or not, Athaliah lost a son. Athaliah, wicked or not, she lost a son. Circumstances of life and loss. Athaliah is victimized now by that loss and that pain and that devastation of the reality that she had just lost her son. And it's Athaliah that single-handedly begins to dismantle everything that had already been done. It's Athaliah because of her loss. 
her pain, becoming the victim of life's circumstances, the Bible says she begins to lash out. And lashing out, she destroys the seed royal. Anything that could ascend to the throne, anything that would be a part of the kingdom, she began to lash out and destroy. Out of her pain, out of what she had gone through, she had literally become the victim. So in the face of all of this momentum, in the face, uh, face of all of this faith and everything that was going on, somebody became the victim. Suffered loss, endured pain, had been wounded in the wake of all that is changing. And Athaliah, she kills all the royal seed and thus ascends to the throne herself. Athaliah, literally her name means afflicted, wounded. She allowed what she had went through to identify her as the victim. And it is that victim mentality that has the ability to singly handle, single handedly take a hold of that momentum and bring it to a crawl. It's that, it's that victim mentality that would cause her to lash out to those that were closest to her. It's that victim mentality that assumed the throne in Israel that now, listen very closely. It's that victim Athaliah that she assumed the throne of Israel. And her, not even realizing because of the loss that, it, that she had happened to her, what the pain she endured, the stuff she went through, she used that to justify the wrong that she was doing because of the wrong that was done to her. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means that she, like our nation has adopted a spirit of a victim. And Athaliah is the personification of that spirit of a victim that now sits on the throne. I'm a patriot. I love America. I believe that we were a superpower. But now we have stepped back with that spirit of Athaliah because of we've suffered loss. And this nation has made everybody the victim. To the degree where Athaliah, listen to me very closely. You feel how that momentum when I was preaching about everything else and everything just kind of came to a screeching halt? That's what happens. That's why God needs to identify this. So Antioch, all your work, it will not be in vain. But God is trying to spare us from some things and head some things off. Because Athaliah, when she lashed out because of the wrong that had been done to her, because of the pain she had felt, she lashed out. And guess what? Her moral compass, because she had been the victim and because of what had been done wrong to her, because of what people had said and what people had did, she lashed out with a moral compass that was no longer on point to the fact that the royal seed that she destroyed was her own grandchildren. And it's Athaliah that assumes the throne of a nation and makes every demographic 
whether large or small, out to be a victim, to manipulate, to get their way, and to coddle them and create a, a space for them. But it's like I was preaching in Denver, Colorado. And in Denver, Colorado, as I was praying for this and God gave me this. And I was in that hotel room and I watched as this spirit kind of came into my room. I just felt something dark come into my room. And all of a sudden I started feeling sorry for myself. I'm tired. I don't feel good. I, and I just All this stuff started coming on me. And I started thinking all of a sudden about Things people had said about me. Things that people had done to me. Times where I'd been, I'd been rejected. All this stuff started coming on me. And I said, no, I am not the victim. I am not the victim. And when I began to recognize that, I bound that spirit and it left my room. And across the hall, I heard a door shut. And I heard a lady go, wow! And right behind that scream, I heard a man come to the door and start knocking and say, and saying to that same door that slammed, Ashley, Ashley, baby, it's going to be okay. You got to open it. They're going to think something's wrong. And it was this coddling that would come in and say, baby, you're okay. You're, 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 you're. And it seemed nice at first, but then God gave me the understanding. No, 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 you've got to understand. There's a fine line between being a harbor for the hurting and being a, a, a harbor for the hurting or a refuge for the hurting and then a harbor for the victim mentality. Antioch, you have been a refuge and you have brought in the hurting and the huddled masses, if you will. But there's a fine line between between a refuge and for the for those that are hurting and then a harbor for a victim mentality there's got to be a point in time where you understand that we are not the victim we are royalty Don't you ever forget why she was on the throne and a nation submitted to her. Because they didn't know that there was any other royal seed left. But I've got news for you. There was one royal seed that they took and they hid in the house of the Lord. And while a nation... Don't you forget, you are not the victim. Ah... Don't you ever forget 1 Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. A, a holy nation. A peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of Him. That called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In times past, you were not a people, but now, now, now are the people of God. But that nation of Israel, they submitted to Athaliah because they didn't know that there was anything else. 
There's a nation now as God, like I said earlier, has set you as the crown of a nation. I believe. I don't even know what that fully means, but that's what he told me. That God has set you as a church that is a crown to a nation. And he's saying to you, don't you let that spirit get on you that says, oh, well, look what they did and how they, they how I suffered and, and allow what they did to justify you in what you're doing Because now you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a... Because now they submitted because they didn't know anything else. They didn't know that there was any other royal blood or any other royalty that could assume to the throne or run to the throne and assume the throne. They didn't know that there was anything else. So they were forced to live with that victim mentality. They were forced to submit to that victim mentality. But while a nation submitted because they did not know of an alternative that there was actually royalty that some some uh, praying, praying mother by the name of Jehoshaphat, she got a hold of one of those royal seed good thing we know the gardener because God knows what to do with the seed it may not be everything that it's going to be that royalty and that royal seed that he's planted guess what he did while a nation was submitting and settling for less God had something planned that he had hidden in the house of the Lord Because watch what they did for six years. Six years they submitted. But for that same six years in hiding. In hiding where nobody knew it was there. In hiding where he was overlooked. That royal seed King Joash that was yet to be king and yet to be everything that he would be. He was back in the Bible said in the bedchamber. You know where the bedchamber is and what the bedchamber was? That's where they put the spare mattresses and the extra toilet paper. The stuff you weren't using right now. They took royalty and put them in the spare closet. Being overlooked. Being bypassed for six years. Nobody recognized him. For six years, he wasn't even thought about because nobody even knew that he existed. And for six years, he's got a nurse in that spare closet with him, teaching him how to think, teaching him how to respond, teaching him how to be royalty. So you want to know what God's been doing with Antioch? You want to know what he may have been doing with you? Well, I'm not royalty. Nobody notices me. I'm not royalty. Nobody's even noticed that I'm valuable. I'm not royal. No, God just got you in hiding. He's got you in that place where the stuff that's not being used right now and He's getting you ready for your moment, Antioch. Do you understand the reason why it hasn't happened yet? It's because He's got you on hiding. Because you've got a promise, but He's getting your platform ready. You've got a word, but He's getting ready to bring you out of hiding. He's taking His time getting you ready. He's taking His time as He got you. Because watch now, that's the context. 
You know the scripture? I want you to bring up a scripture. Can you do that for me? I can't even see who's back there if there is anybody. But First Peter 2 and 9, we know that. But ye are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people. That means a prized treasure. Well, we know that scripture and we quote that. But we don't ever look at the context. That word but, it's a conjunction. Conjunction, junction. I came in when I was at, I came in 17, so I, I had Saturday morning cartoons, okay? ABC, Channel 5, I remember it all. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words. I don't know the rest, something, something, something. But that's a conjunction. But means it's joining two thoughts, but but means it's, it's straying from the current thought. It's taking a right turn. But here's the context. Do, do verse 4. The Bible starts talking about Jesus. To whom coming as unto a living stone. He was disallowed indeed of men. But chosen of God and precious. But a living stone. You know what a living stone is? Let's go down to the next verse. It says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. He said, just like Jesus was a lively stone disallowed of men, but chosen of God, ye also are lively stones are are built up a spiritual house. In other words, you have a log to offer. But you are that log. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. A lively stone was those stones after you would build a spirit or after you would build a building in those days. When you would begin to build those buildings, what you would do was go and find the biggest rocks. You would find the straightest rocks. You would find the prettiest rocks to begin the building. So as you went through and waded through all the rocks in the quarry to find the biggest, the straightest, and the best looking rocks to start the building, as you waded through all of the best rocks, you would have to throw away some rocks that didn't really fit what they were going after. So they would disallow them. Not this one. Not big enough, not straight enough, not good looking enough. But as they would build this building, they would have all the big rocks at the bottom. But as this building, as an architect, that building would come to a close. You would need unique rocks. You would need rocks that could be chipped away at to fit and to form the finalization of that building. To bring it to a completion and to bring it to an end. So you want to know what God was doing with you? Yeah, He may have bypassed you. You weren't big enough, strong enough, fast enough. But at the end of it all, He says, Hey, what about these? These ought to work for now. These ought to work to finish the work. This ought, That's what a lively stone is. So what I've come to tell this church, you might have been overlooked in the beginning. You might have been bypassed as somebody else was chosen. But God is saying now, I need you. Now is your time 
I know you've been in the back bedroom and pastor hasn't mentioned your name from a pulpit, but you're still valuable. You're still worth it. He's got all the big parts in place. Now we just need somebody to finish the work. Come on, clap your hands if you believe that right now. I know it seems like they come and not her, not him. And the Spirit says, nah, not now. He's saying his no means not yet. I've got a purpose where they'll fit just right. I've got a place for them. So when God said to that young royal seed that he planted in a back bedroom in the house of the Lord, he was saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. They don't even know my name, not yet. You may be royalty, you may be a king, you've got the potential of a king, but he says not yet. Antioch, you've got promises, you've got potential, but here's the thing, he said not yet, he said not yet, because he was setting the platform but I've come to tell you get ready for royalty because God is about to bring you out of hiding this church has been in hiding I don't know how that is We're one. I tell people Antioch man they're one of the most visible churches but guess what in the eyes of the world they can't see you they don't know that you exist they don't even know that you're here off a Richie Highway but guess what while this world is begging for an alternative because they don't want to be the victim they don't want to be terrorized what they need is a revelation of royalty in here on Ritchie Highway and across Baltimore and across this area there's royalty that's hiding in the house so get ready get ready I know you've been like Jesus, disallowed. Jesus came on the scene and He wasn't the prettiest. He wasn't the straightest. He wasn't the biggest. So they said, we don't want Him. They rejected Him. And if anybody had the right to be a victim, if anybody had a right to allow what they went through to identify them, it was Jesus, disallowed, they took Jesus and said, uh, we need a Messiah. This ain't Him. But I'm telling you, the Jewish nation is about to say, they're going to get in a place where they're going to say, we'll, we need a Messiah and we'll take any Messiah we can get. And they're going to pick up that lively stone. And they're going to say, this will work. And then it's over. Do you understand? But he said, your lively stones. A spiritual house. I know you've been overlooked. I know you've been rejected. I know that you haven't found your place yet. But God is reaching out to somebody saying, you're not the victim. You're royalty in waiting. Your royalty. Get ready to wear the crown. Get ready for the anointing to flow. Get ready. Because now He's about to place you in your place to complete the work. 
That is the context for 1 Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him that has called you out of darkness or obscurity or out of hiding. But in times past were not. But now... That's the context. Come to the piano, please, please. What I've come to preach to this church, like God spoke it to me, He said, ready? For royalty. He said it as a statement, but He was really asking it as a question. Ready? We've been in hiding, but we're not the victim. We've been overlooked, but we're not the victim. We've been lied on, but we're not the victim. We've been hurt, but we're not the victim. Because the difference between royalty and a victim, it's not that one suffers pain and the other doesn't. It's not one is rejected and the other isn't. It's not that one has lost, but the other doesn't. But the difference between victims and royalty is... The victim allows what they've gone through to identify them. But the royalty says, that's not who I am. A victim allows their loss to determine their level of worth. But royalty says, no, you may have hurt me, but I've got an intrinsic worth that's been handed to me. And that don't determine how valuable I am. My loss, my pain, my rejection, that does not write the price tag on my life. What they did to you does not determine your value. How they left you does not determine your value. Think about King Joash, that spare bedroom. He's back there wondering where his family is. He's back there wondering why he has to be here. Going through the darkest probably and loneliest time of his life. He's royalty. But when it came time for him to come out of hiding. He didn't allow all of that to define him. Because I felt when I was in prayer today to tell somebody. For this to be on your mind. Your need is not your name. Your need, it's not your name. So I can see like my son, he's six years old. Can you see him coming out? After the traumatic experience of being rushed off and hidden and stolen from his family. In that back room. For years just waiting for something to happen. I bet that nurse kept saying, it's going to happen. One day. You're going to have a platform and the world's going to see you. The world's waiting on you, buddy. Been waiting for six years, all of a sudden, 
that moment came. And the Bible said that they took that little six-year-old boy and they brought him up next to... The Bible says they stood him next to the pillar. I wish Bishop was here. I could I'd bring my son up and I'd set him up next to, to Bishop. Say, he's not everything he's going to be, Bishop. But I'm going to set him next to a pillar. Because when they brought that king out of hiding, there was an Athaliah that was out to kill him. Because a royal, royalty and a victim cannot live in the same house. So they brought that king out of hiding. This king that had potential and promise and set him up next to that pillar. But you know the reason for that pillar? Because they were protecting the potential of royalty. He's not everything he's going to be. In Antioch, you're not everything you're going to be. But thank God you've got a bishop. Thank God you've got a pastor that's got your back. That will protect you from things you might not see coming. And they took out the crown. They took out the anointing. They took out the testimony. And they put it all in his hands. Putting a crown on his head. The law in his hands. Anointed him. And they began to shout. And they began to praise God. Saying, God, save the king. But you want to know who brought him out of hiding? Civil authorities and religious authorities came together. And they said, we've got to have an alternative to Athaliah. Instead of a victim, we need somebody that knows who they are and knows how valuable they, they really are. So God, I believe, is going to establish in this church civil authorities and religious authorities across this area that are going to come together and say, we need something different. And they're going to find uh, the king's sons. Uh, and they're going to find royalty that have been hidden in this house. And they're going to bring you out of hiding and set you before the stage of the world. But get ready, because when that happens, Pastor, Athaliah comes. She comes to church that day. And the Bible says she looks at the potential and the promise of that royalty. And she cries, treason! Treason! And she began to accuse them of what she was guilty of. And that's what this world will do. But guess what? The king never had to raise a sword. Because God had so incubated him with favor on every level. That when the people came crying against the church, trees and trees, and they don't love, they're judgmental. That church, you don't believe what they believe, and they're going to come, but there's going to be such a perimeter of favor surrounding you that you won't even have to fight. You won't have to even lift a sword, but just yield yourself to the fact that you're royalty, and God will allow your, your allies. Now here's where I quit. It was about two months ago that God had privileged me to preach in a state where they had the primaries or some kind of political thing going on in that state. And in that state, I went to the gym because I was trying to get ready for royalty, if you will. 
And I went to the gym and on the treadmill I'm running and I look up and I see on the screen there's, there's all the, the political candidates and everything that was going on. I just started to weep saying, God, don't let us settle. And as I, I sat on, that's where he spoke to me, ready for royalty. I walked off of that, that platform after preaching to a church in a pastor. This pastor had been, he had been lied on. This pastor had been made to be the black sheep. He had been rejected by the city council. He had been, he'd been pushed to the side and he was defeated. And I went there trying to preach revival, trying to say, God's going to do it. And all he could do was look down and say, well, the city's against us. I said, but get ready. He said, no. You don't understand all the pastors around us have lied on us. And the people we got, nobody wants. And they don't want what we... But I said, get ready. And that next day, after that conversation with that pastor, I walked off that treadmill and I was met by a man. And that man said to me, he said, Oh, I see your license plate. You're from Iowa. I said, Yes, sir. He said, Well, what are you doing in town? And I broke him in easy. I don't really like to just bust out. Hey, I'm a preacher because they'll, they'll turn you off. So I said, well, I'm a public speaker. And they said, well, he said, what do you speak on? Motivational mostly. And all of a sudden, instead of repelling him, leaning backwards, he's starting to lean forward. Oh, really? He said, what are you, what are you in town for? I said, here we go. I said, I'm actually preaching a revival at a little, I mean, growing church outside of town here. It's pastored by a, by a farmer that's just, he's farming, trying to make ends meet for the church to keep the doors open. He said, oh really? Is it pastor so and so? I said, yeah. He said, wow. I've had my eye on him and my eye on that church for a while now. I said, oh really? And he said, in fact, you're probably staying outside his house in that little travel trailer. I said, yeah. I I am. He says, no worries. I just live about a mile up the road in a big house. So when the next time you come for revival, why don't you come and stay in my house? I've got a big spare bedroom and you'll like it. And I'll come to the church for revival. So I hurry. I hurried over to my phone and I got my phone. And everybody's not like your bishop that texts and does all the fancy stuff. So I text the pastor's wife because the pastor don't text. You know he's defeated. But now I text the pastor's wife and I said, Hey, do you know so and so? Next time we come in for revival, he wants me to come and stay at his house and he wants to come to church because he's had his eye on you and pastor. And she sent me a text back. Oh, Brother Near, you have no idea. That's our state senator. 
We are not the victim. We are royal. My God. My God. My God. If you'd stand, let's stand together right now. Because in that same revival church, that last night of revival, it broke. It happened. Everything they were praying for, it happened. But listen to me very closely. Don't get distracted in these last moments. It broke that night. They literally piled out into the parking lot. Rolling in tongues, speaking in tongues, drunk in the Holy Ghost. It broke for them. But by the time we got to the restaurant, something turned off. By the time they got to the restaurant, the move of God, the Word of God kind of didn't settle right. And they, they went into their pizza hut that they always went into. And they sat down and hovered over their food with their heads down to feed it. Lashing out because somebody didn't bring them sweet tea. And while the church became the victim again, it was only the church and one lady over in the corner. And I'm up getting my salad. Disturbed by their, by them being so defeated after one of the greatest victories they'd ever had. They're now defeated again. Everything brought to back to a crawl. And I'm walking over to get my salad. We're the only ones in the place. And as I get my salad, I see a woman back in the far corner. And she's got her head down just like the church. But little did I know that she had just lost a dear friend to domestic violence. So as I'm carrying my salad back, Pastor, I get it all nice and piled high and I'm, I'm excited. But then the Lord speaks to me and He tells me, go tell her that everything's going to be okay. Because she's submitting to the fact that she's a victim because she doesn't know that there's anything else. So with my salad in hand, I begin to make my way back to the church. And I look over and I say, ma'am, everything's going to be okay. And as quick as I said it, her head snapped up. And she said, how do you know? Tears in her eyes, how do you know? And I walked to her and I grabbed her by the hand and I said, because God told me so. I grabbed her by the hand and we began to pray in that pizza hut. Tears streaming down both of our faces as a church was sitting there defeated, worried about what had been done to them. I grabbed her by the hand and I said, everything's going to be okay. And we prayed and we wept. And as soon as I began to speak with tongues, Pastor, as soon as I began to speak with tongues, she stopped and said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. She says, my daughter prays like that. And she said, can I, can I do that? And I said, ma'am, yes you can. Church, Antioch, we are not the victim. 
We are royalty. So I want you to lift your head to heaven right now. You are not defeated. Even despite what had been done, you are not destroyed. You are royalty. Lift your hands all over this place and lift your head. God's calling you out of hiding tonight. God's saying you don't have to live in obscurity and pain and loss. Come on, right where you are. Lift your head. Lift your head. Come on, tell somebody I'm not the victim. But there's something in me. I'm worth more than I realize. I'm more valuable than I understand. Come on, Antioch, it's your time. God's pulling you out of your pew right now. He's calling for you right now. He's saying you're not all that you're going to be. But it's time for you to become visible. It's time for the world to see you. Pray, lift your hands right now and yield to that spirit of ministry that is in this house. Come on, young man, your time's coming. Come on, young lady, you may not be the best or the biggest or the best, but you need to come to this altar and find your place. Come on, Antioch, I want you to step out of your pews all, all across this place. And I want as you step, you're making a declaration that we're coming out of hiding and that it's time. If you've got somebody you're praying with right next to you, if you've got a guest with you, I want you to pray with them and let them know how valuable they are and what God has for them. Come on, ministry, begin to move through the congregation. I bind that spirit of Athaliah. There is an alternative. Come on, reach with your faith. Come on, 
Come on, the door is open. The door is open. somebody to pray with tell them you're worth more than you realize you're more valuable than you understand God didn't bring you this far to fail you It's happening right now. There it is. There it is.
on, I want everybody in Antioch, I want you to find somebody and I want you to take that worth that you understand and go transmit it to somebody. And go pray and bind that spirit of Athelot. I know what they said was wrong, but that didn't take your worth. I know what they did was wrong, but you're still worth it all.
want you to understand when they realized that royalty was in the house of the Lord you know what they did the Bible says from one side to the other they said from one side to the others they got the trumpets and they clapped their hands and they said God save the king so I wonder if Antioch if you'd realize that there's royalty in this house there's value in you are you ready to sing this again let's sing it Here it comes. To the one who forever reigns. And heal my triumph every day. So I will lift my voice.
something before we get any more distracted or realize it's some of you are ready to go and that's fine the Bible says I believe therefore have I hello I believe therefore have I spoken here's what I want you to do if you join me with this for a moment before we whatever else we do, dismiss or whatever. I want you with your voice, with your words, I want you to declare this word that's spoken tonight is for me. I believe, therefore have I spoken. The word that has been preached tonight, I don't know if it's anybody else, but I declare it's for me. I don't know if anybody else got it, but I declare it's mine. Come on, do that. Your own words, your own way, just for a moment or two. I want you to make that declaration before you walk out of here tonight. This is my word. This is my word. I don't know if anybody else gets it, but it's my word. I know we just sang it, but I want somebody to just say it. I am victorious. Come on, make that declaration tonight. I am victorious. I am victorious. I am victorious. Doesn't matter what my circumstances have been I am victorious doesn't matter what I've been going through I am victorious doesn't matter how dark the night has been I am victorious
you need to go, you can go. But if you feel like it, just declare it a little bit more. I am Mercy, 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 Father.